This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's getting some sunshine. Feels like spring might finally be here. Peeked ahead to the future forecast. Maybe some 70s next week. My daughter, my 8-year-old, the oldest in the family, yesterday when it was 59 degrees after school, asked if we could get the slip and slide out. Yeah, she's like, this feels like summer. This feels like how warm it would be if, uh, you know, if during the times where we'd get out the water toys, get out the pool, get out the the slip and slide. I'm like, sweetie, it's it's uh, you know, it, it's not it's not that warm yet, but it feels like it to a lot of us. I had to calm her down a little bit. We went to the playground instead of doing the slip and slide, but that's what it feels like. It feels good, um, and I hope everybody's enjoying it. Got a lot of good stuff coming up on the show here in a little bit. Um, Chip Scoggins will join me, Star Tribune columnist. Got to talk about the Wild with Chip. He was there Monday night when things did not go well. Understatement. Fans feel like they're numb to the pain a little bit. I wrote about that uh, Tuesday on the Ramball blog. Maybe you can check that out as well. I thought there would be anger about Monday night, but it felt like mostly people were just like, yeah, this is Minnesota sports. This is what happens in the playoffs. It didn't. It didn't take long to get to that point after you know one game against the Blues from a team that felt like it was supposed to be different. And oh, by the way, Wild still betting favorites in Wednesday night's game. Um, maybe the maybe Vegas knows something we all don't know. Maybe you should expect something different tonight. Uh, Chip and I got into a few other things as well. We got into some Twins talk and uh, some other stuff. I got to get to some Lynx stuff that caught my eye, and I want to talk a little bit of Grizzlies Warriors because that series has been interesting right after the Wolves and Grizzlies played their very good first-round series. But first, what did I miss? Even though Chip and I talked a little bit of Twins during our segment, I got to get to them right off the jump here because I feel like they've been getting a little bit ignored. We're not used to all this playoff talk in late April, early May. As I've said many times, this is only the third year that both the Wild and the Wolves have been in the postseason in the same year. We went straight from the Wolves to the Wild. Twins, meanwhile, looked like there was going to be a nice distraction from their season when they started 4-8, and eight, they've won 11 of their last 12 now, beat Baltimore on Tuesday night. Ryan Jeffers, the big hit in that one, three-run home run in the sixth inning to break a tie, give them a 5-2 lead. Just kind of coming from every different spot right now. The bullpen has been very good. Joe Ryan was okay on uh uh, on Tuesday night, uh, you know, he didn't even get through five innings, but he only gave up the two runs. Um, but the bullpen took it the rest of the way in good shape there. You know, the lineup has been getting contributions from a lot of different people. And, you know, you look at the standings right now, and they're starting to get some separation in the American League Central. They're four games ahead of anybody else in the AL Central. Nobody else in the AL Central even has a winning record. And the Twins now at 15 and 9 a 625 winning percentage which is you know among the best in the American League that is the that is the second best mark in the American League behind the Yankees so you know from 4 and 8 to 15 and 9 they're going to cool off at some point here obviously they're not just going to keep winning you know 11 out of 12 games that's that's ridiculous they're not going to keep doing that but you know, whatever the secret sauce is here, and the secret mostly has been pitching lately, although the hitting has been starting to come around, 
you know, whatever it is has completely surprised me, as Chip Scoggins and I will talk about here in a little bit. It's just, you know, I did not see this coming from this team. I, I just didn't think they were that good when they were talking about, you know, having confidence at the start of the year. I was like, why? What you know, what what is it about yourselves? What is it about this team that you like? And you know, I still can't entirely put a finger on it, but it does seem to me that it, it does have a lot to do with some of these new players they have in, some of the clubhouse chemistry. You know, Carlos Correa, even though he hasn't hit great yet, he's been hitting better lately, and he brings a certain confidence and a certain calm to this clubhouse that uh, that seems like it has been contagious. So maybe even when they had that 4-8 and eight start, they didn't lose confidence in that. So whatever it is that is working, it certainly is working and is surprising me. We'll see if they can keep it up when the competition gets a little better. They've been lucky to play some teams that are not that great, but you know, overall, you have to say this team right now feels like it could be playing, you know, meaningful games deep into the season and you know, 12 games into the year. I just did not see that happening. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24/7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune columnist. He was in the building Monday night, witness, a, a personal witness to the four to nothing debacle is maybe not uh, not out of line when you consider the context of what happened in that game, Chip. Four nothing wild loss to St. Louis in the playoff opener erases home ice advantage. And, and more than that, when you lose four nothing, um, you can't just say a few bounces here, a few bounces there. If you lose three two, you probably say, okay, you know, get them next time and people believe you. But when you lose four nothing, um, I guess what was your takeaway as you walked out of the building that night? Yeah, it, um, it felt like a lot of playoff wild playoff games I've had, I've watched previously. I think back to those Blackhawks series in the, what, 2014, 15, uh, 2012 years where they generate a lot of chances, but they just don't convert them. And so, and that's what I think probably the biggest, uh, frustration and you saw it spill out on the ice there at the end. We can talk about Spurgeon's um, uh, cross check, <clears throat> but, but it's, you know, this team should be different because they have high end finishers and scores with Caprisov, uh, with Fiala, uh, they have more depth. And so the fact that they were not able to, you know, put one in, I mean, I think they hit three posts, they were all around the net all night and just didn't convert. And um, I think it's, you saw their frustration, but they took undisciplined penalties. And I don't know how much of that is they weren't able to score versus this blues team has just had a lot of success against them. They're four and against them this year. You look at the recent history, they've had the wilds number. And so uh, game two becomes awfully critical um, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, because uh, they have to figure out a way to uh, solve this Blues team that that just matches up well against them. I mean, short of just playing better, um, you know, not taking so many bad penalties or just penalties in general. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to engage St. Louis in a game of trading penalties. You know, you don't want no. you don't want the after the whistle stuff. You don't want to turn this into a penalty fest because the Blues 
in the regular season, they had a top five power play and a top five penalty kill. And the Wild had a bottom half power play and a bottom half power kill. That's not the game you want to play in the playoffs. No, and, and we knew special teams were going to be such a big part of this series. And and it's interesting. You watch the the difference in power plays. When the Blues went on it, it felt like they were going to score anytime they wanted. And when the Wild went on their power play, did nothing. Um, they had chances, but they just... Uh, there's a big gap between those two power plays and the wild were over six. I think the blues were what, two for five or they get six, but two for six. Uh, and, then, and then they had the one that was right after right, the- right after it. Yeah. So it could have been three. Um, and so they cannot afford to take those kind of penalties because the blues um, they're going to convert a lot of chances on a power play. And so you have to be more disciplined five on five. They're probably, you know, it's, it, they're okay there, but it's, if they get on, um, if their PK has to go on the ice, uh, that's not going to be the recipe <laughs> for winning this series. And so I thought the Blues played really well, great goaltending. Um, they obviously have a very potent uh, lineup too. They scored 309 goals this year. I mean, they were, I think, third in the NHL in scoring. So um, the Wild, I mean, I don't think they were good in any phase. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, there wasn't, a whole lot redeeming about that game for them to uh, draw upon. They seem to think they played okay. And I don't know if that's just them talking, trying to stay positive after the game, trying to talk up their five. You know what? You know what good five on five to me is, is you're good for three quarters in the NBA. And look what happened to the Wolves in the fourth (laughs) quarter. I mean, it's just like, it's what wins playoff games in the NBA is the fourth quarter. And what wins playoff games a lot of times in the NHL is special teams. You can be as good a five-on-five team as you want, but those moments where you either get a goal, don't get a goal, or you give up a goal on those special teams, that defines a lot of your success. And, you know, if the Wild just isn't very good in that area, they're starting out in a, in a tough spot in this series. And they talked about it at the end of the regular season. Um, was it the Calgary game where their special teams were really good? I think they had a couple of power plays and their PK was good and, and, uh, I don't know how many guys came in the press room after that night and said, yeah, special teams are going to be enormous in the postseason because that's those things can swing games, can swing series. And particularly when you're facing a team that is exceptional in, in those areas. Um, it, yeah. That it's, it's nice to be feel like you're, you're playing well five on five and that you match up, but if you're taking six penalties and just being undisciplined, you know, the, the Jordan Greenway one, when the play was already gone, he cross checks the guy, right in front of the official. I mean, that's, you just can't have that happen because then they came down and scored a, a power play goal right off that. So it's, you know, I think when you look at the film um, today, they'll, they'll see that, you know, they cannot play that, that sloppy in terms of uh, taking penalties. And I, I do think some of it was just their frustration came, you know, flowing out the longer that game went on and, and they just couldn't convert chances. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about Spurgeon in a minute and goaltending in a minute. But do you, you know, when you don't get any goals, you can look up and down the lineup and want more. Do you, do you feel like the onus is specifically on Kaprizov or Fiala, or is this a, a team thing where they need to, you know, convert just convert these chances, whoever it is? Yeah, I would say both. I mean, you hate to say okay, they can only win if two guys score. In saying that your best players need to be your best players. They're, they're your best scorers. I mean, uh, Kaprizov was a hundred point guy. Um, Fialo came into the playoffs on an absolute tear. And so, yes, you would think you would want those guys kind of leading the way, 
But at this point, you take it from wherever you can get it. And, and they have enough depth in this lineup. And you've seen it. It's, it's not just two guys. Um, you don't score as many goals as they had just off one or two guys. And so uh, the two big guns need to be better, but everybody needs to be better. Who would you have? We're going we're gonna to find out, I'm sure, at some point here. But who would you go with in goal in game two? Would you go back to Flurry Because otherwise it looks like you're kind of panicking because yeah. he didn't play awful. He gave up some rebounds, but he also didn't have a lot of help. Or would you go to Talbot and say, okay, now it's, now it's your turn. We've kind of rotated when, when guys you know, have, a, have a bad game. Now we have someone else we trust. Yeah, this is a, a tricky situation for Dean Evanson because I agree with you. Like if you, if you make the change now, um, it could look like one you're pinning in on uh loss on, on the goalie, or you could say we're looking for a spark or, you know, does it show that you're panicking? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where you, in the playoffs, you just, you go with, you, you know, your gut and matchups. Um, I probably would maybe uh, give Talbot, a chance. I mean, he was playing so well, 13-0-3 in his last 16 starts, but let's also acknowledge that he lost three games to the Blues this, this year, and he gave up 16 goals, uh, six twice, and so it, um, he didn't play well against them, and so I think that probably factored into why he went with Flurry in game one, along with Flurry's obviously, uh, postseason resume and pedigree. Um, and as I wrote today, is like, Flurry was not you know, he wasn't sharp. He gave, I think, every goal is on a rebound, right? Um, but his defense failed him. I mean, the second one where they just left O'Reilly uncovered, right? You know, they just had a total breakdown um, in their in their zone there. So, and when you score zero goals, it's 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 kind of uh, moot to to you know pin it all on the goaltending. But um, I'll be fascinated to see what Dean does here, um, because I, I think there's some psychological things you have to consider um but also kind of go with who you think is going to give you the best chance to win at this point i don't even know who the best i don't even know who the best chance to win is that's that's the thing like they're both good but (laughs) they're not it's not like either one of them is without their flaws or without their you know weak you know you can you can point to things in in both of their cases and say i'd rather have the other guy i'd rather have this guy well that's it i mean it's it's there's not a bad option right but but there's not an option that's so much superior than the other that you say, well, this is an easy decision. I mean, Dean says it's an easy decision, but I don't I don't know how you could say it is. It's easy from the fact that you have two guys that you trust, but um, but I, I think it would be easier if Talbot had played better against St. Louis this year. Yeah. I mean, then I think your answer is pretty easy, but the fact that he did not fare well against them, um, in saying that, I, I I think I would probably come back with him just to see if it gives you a spark and see if, you know, um, I think the team's going to play better for whatever reason. They were just, um, I think they got tight when they didn't score, you know, some chances early in the hit post and then the frustration started and they just got completely out of sorts. Speaking of frustration and out of sorts, let's finish our wild talk with you know, Jared Spurgeon. I talked about this on Monday show, but it's so out of character for him just, you know, the two-headed cross-check to the back of back of the St. Louis players, you know, legs while he's down, you know, that could have been a pretty dangerous play. Look like he was able to skate that one off. Okay. But you know, is this, is this just, does that just show you the level of frustration, both yeah. with losing in the playoffs? I mean, Spurgeon's been here for a lot of that with, with losing to St. Louis. What do you imagine that is? 
Yeah, it was it was totally out of character. Um, and it's not a good look when that's your captain doing that. I mean, your captain, you want to have the uh, even kill level headed. And when your captain's losing his cool to that degree, knowing kind of the person that Jared Spurgeon in the player that that's, you know, something that you just don't see from. I, I think it's as much the frustration with the blues, uh, the lack of success against them. And, you know, there was so much anticipation and optimism. And it, I mean, the series is not over. It's one game, but um, you have home ice advantage. You play so well. And there's, uh, you know, this feeling that this team is different. And then to play that poorly and have just so many things go wrong in game one, um, you just kind of snapped. And I we're, we're taping this before uh, the NHL announces any kind of discipline. If he doesn't get suspended for a game, he's going to be darn lucky, right? I mean, that just, you know, he's lucky the Blues player didn't suffer an ankle injury or calf injury or Achilles injury. I mean, you just can't do that. And so I'm sure I'm sure Spurgeon probably woke up today with a little remorse uh, for kind of uh, just losing it there for a split second. Speaking of surprises in the right direction, Twins were 4-8 and eight at one point this season, Chip, and not looking very good. Doing it, they were seventy three and eighty nine last season. I, you know, again, there was a lot of season left to play after twelve games, but I was honestly not sure if they were going to see the right side of five hundred again this season, based on how they looked and based on how a bad start can just totally derail a team. And then all of a sudden, they're in first place in the American League Central. They've, you know, <laughs> winning, you know, got a big hot streak going, won those seven in a row. Get kept playing well against Tampa Bay. I mean, did you have more faith in them than I did, or did this come out no. of nowhere for you too? No, it came out of nowhere. And, and you said all those factors that it was based on, I think based on too, that there were so many unknowns and question marks with the pitching staff. Um, you, you know, yes, they had, you know, um, they brought in some guys that, you know, Chris Archer, he's had some success in his career, but what kind of version of Chris Archer are you getting? Um, you know, Joe Ryan, I mean, all these guys, there's so many question marks, but to their credit, <laughs> I mean, I don't think many people would say the pitching staff would be this good. I think, I think most of them thought, you know, that lineup will hit. It's pretty good. Sure. Um, it, you know, it was a slow start, I think, for everybody in baseball with the condensed uh, spring training. But I, I think you felt like if Buxton was healthy, their defense was going to be, you know, dramatically better up the middle and, you felt like that lineup had a, a chance to be pretty good with Buxton Correa at the top. And so, but they're just playing good ball now. I mean, Correa's hitting's coming on. Uh, Kepler's coming on. The pitching staff has just been phenomenal. Um, let's be honest. They played some bad teams. Yeah. <laughs> the the yes. division doesn't look, the division doesn't look very good right now. Um, and so I think all of that, you know, they shouldn't, they don't have to apologize for that for someone else. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And so, um, and, and I go back to this too, Mike, and this is always hard to quantify, but we had that free, the, uh, on the eve of the opener day before we had the, you know, the kind of the big press conferences and Byron Buxton said something interesting. Someone asked him about the chemistry in the, in the clubhouse and how it feels, you know, is it different than this year or this year than as opposed to last year with some of these new guys. And he said night and day, which, okay. He said, everything now is great basically what he's saying, which tells you, and that's the difference between winning and losing, but they hadn't played a game yet. And he just, there was a vibe that he felt that was so different than last year. And so how much does that influence the way they're playing? It, it's hard to know, but 
if the guys feel good about uh, the makeup of the team and, and, and the, you know, uh, kind of the chemistry they have, I think it has to help some, right. It's, it's some, it plays some factor. I don't know to what degree, but um, you could tell that this team likes the way they're constructed. Yeah, I agree with that. I just, I knew they let, you know, Phil Miller talked about that even before the season started. I think it was like a week before the season and he and I did like a season preview and he's talking about how much, you know, they're talking up the chemistry. They're talking up the, you know, the start of the year, talking up, you know, the Korea transaction and what that meant to them in terms of, you know, he's a winner. Yeah. He's, he's been there before. And the, the guys they got from the Yankees and just how they believed in themselves. And I was like, why? I, I just didn't see like what, <laughs> what they saw in themselves. And then I thought that was affirmed by this four and eight start. So I'm just like, just completely taken aback. And again, it's, you know, both, all of these are small sample sizes, but you know, as you keep adding games and we're in May now, the sample size gets a little bit bigger and maybe, you know, in a weak division, maybe they are the best team. Yeah. I mean, so much of it is obviously going to depend on uh, how the pitching holds up and, and injuries. I mean, if you, I mean, let's be honest, the more Buxton plays, the more this team's going to win. Yeah. I mean, he, and, and Correa is now you see his bat, uh, what he brings to this team, not only just on the field, but I'm sure leadership. And when you have a superstar, I think it makes everybody, it raises everybody's level of play probably a little bit, you know, and he's just such a dynamic player in the field too. And um, so it's, it's, I mean, they're playing with a lot of confidence and they're finding different ways to win, you know, uh, sometimes it, some days it's the offense. Other times the pitching is, is, you know, coming through. Um, you're seeing the bullpen. I mean, Duran got the save yesterday and he's, you know, uh, what a find he is. If he can, you know, I talked to your guy, Glenn Perkins about the, the idea of the closer, the role of the closer and the save and all that now. And he, he, he's of the opinion doesn't necessarily have to be a ninth inning guy. Just he's your, if he's your best reliever, put him in the high, you know, most high leverage situations. And so, there's a lot of things to like about what, how they're um, playing right now. And, um, but it all, to me, it all comes back to that pitching staff and being pleasantly surprised by what they're doing. Yeah. Entering Tuesday with these best starters ERA in the American league, second best in baseball, quick chip um, wolf series ended a few days ago um, ended with, the $30 million point guard on the bench and the $2 million point guard on the floor. What on earth can you do with D'Angelo Russell this off season, aside from please not extending his contract? Yeah. I mean, you know, when they didn't do anything at the deadline, Mike, I think that I was under the belief and opinion that I was fine with it. Play the season out, see what happens, get a better gauge of who you are and who you want to go forward with. I just don't think you can go forward with D'Angelo Russell. I mean, at the moment of truth in an elimination game, you have a close game. You, he couldn't be trusted to be on the floor. A $30 million player could not be trusted to be on the floor. You, you're better off with him on the bench than on the floor. There's your answer. <laughs> and you can say, well, maybe it's a bad matchup, but he, he's just, there's just too much roller coaster with him too much. Uh, yes. He has stretches where he looks really good, but there's also, you know, performances where he just seems kind of detached and I don't know, he really fits with what they're doing. Great. So I would, I would do everything in my power to try to move him and find a different point guard. Um, I, I just don't know. I definitely would not extend. I mean, that's, you know, you can't do that. No, he's just how casual he was with the ball in yeah. 
some of those key moments, like just spots where you can't have a turnover. I know his assist to turnover ratio is generally fine, but both he and Towns just seemed like they, that was maybe a thing they hadn't learned about the postseason yet, that just valuing every possession. There's a couple, he had a couple turnovers and when he came back in in the fourth quarter in that little three minute stint that I'm pretty sure is what got him pulled out of that game where it's just like, he's just not, the passes are too casual for the moment. Yeah. And that's just kind of him. Yeah. And that's, um, and, and you know, Across the board, that team clearly doesn't know how to win in the playoffs. No, in, not in, yet. In, I mean, not yet. But and so you don't necessarily say it's just one guy. But he's your point guard, and he's a veteran, and he's a max player, and so you expect more, right? You expect more out of your point guard. Yeah. And um, just the way he played that entire series, it, it, I just you know this wasn't good, and. I just don't know how you could justify going forward and paying him the kind of money um, that he's going to want, probably right. And that's yeah, what to say. He had a, he's eligible for like a to make forty million dollars a year yeah, on his extension. Just, I mean, he's not worth that. I mean, he, no, part, of, part no. of the problem is that he signed for probably more than he was worth initially. So then, well, and then the other thing is because guess what? I mean, Ant's going to get a big contract here. Right. Towns so, is going to be eligible for a supermax at some supermax. point. Yeah, and McDaniel's you're going to pay at some point here, and so um, to me it's an easy decision. Now you just have to find a trade partner to uh, you know to make it work. And I'm soon you know expiring contract would be an asset for for somebody, uh, but then you have to go out and you have to identify the point guard you want that fits with what Chris Finch is doing and fits with the people uh, you know the pieces you have. Well, we'll see. That was. Uh... That playoff disappointment led right into another one for the wild, but we'll see. I mean, you know, it's, again, it's a long series. Wolves did win game one and then lost the series. The wild won game one last year and, and lost the series. So there is a ways to go. Just the way they lost game one does not give you a ton of confidence. Just the way that St. Louis is 13, one and one in their last 15 against the wild does not give you much hope. But again, hockey's weird. Momentum is weird. We'll see. Stay out of the penalty box. Good stuff from Chip as usual, and uh, yeah, he's right. Jared Spurgeon, lucky not to get it, not to get a suspension. Only got a five thousand dollar fine for that cross check to the back of the legs. Um, you know, I don't quite understand how these fines go. I, I I get it. You know, it wasn't to the face, wasn't to the head or neck area, which could be more serious. But it's just looking at the replay, look there looked like there was an intent to injure there that, that that can't be ignored but you know maybe like a like my friend uh, chicken fingers 69 said on twitter when i was wondering about this he tweeted at me um they suspend cross checks to the head and cross checks that result in boarding if they suspended players for below the neck cross checks that do not catapult someone head first head first into the boards the ice would be empty and i guess that's fair you know it, this is hockey this is what happens maybe everyone got really fired up about it after the game because it was, you know, they played the replay over and over again on Twitter and stuff like that. Everybody, everybody kept seeing it. But um, I guess at the end of the day, not a uh, not a suspendable offense. So lucky for the Wild that it wasn't. Spurgeon should be in the lineup in Game 2 Wednesday night, and we will see if the Wild can put forth a better effort in that game. Let's talk links for a quick minute here. The season starts Friday. Some procedural moves on uh, on Tuesday that caught my eye, they cut a whole bunch of players that seemed to be pretty important on their team, including 2020 
Rookie of the Year, Crystal Dangerfield, and Laisha Clarendon, who was such an important part of last year's turnaround from that 0-4 start. Now, some of this could be procedural. Kevin, uh, Kent Youngblood, who does a great job covering the links, noted that by cutting these players right now, and there are six cuts total, um, two of them could be back before the opener Friday because they can apply for a couple of hardship waivers. They've got Demiris Dantas injured. Kayla McBride still playing overseas right now. Nafisa Collier expecting a baby in not too long and be out for you know out for a while out for the foreseeable future. So two they can apply for two hardship spots and two of these players they just cut could be part of that. Now they but the interesting thing is they cut those two players or cut those six players and they brought back Odyssey Sims who was here a couple of years ago and she is expected to be on the team and playing by Friday when they have the opener. So a lot of, you know, kind of last-minute moves for the Lynx. We'll see how that all shakes out, see who is back indeed and who isn't when the season starts. Let's finish with the cooler. Grizzlies Warriors has been every bit as good as Grizzlies Wolves was. Warriors won the opener in Memphis by a point. Memphis almost came all the way back on them from a double-digit deficit, just like they had done against the Wolves. But John Morant missed a tough, tough layup at the buzzer to uh, to, to fall one point down in that game. Rematch, Game 2 in Memphis was Tuesday night. John Morant, 47 points. Grizzlies win 106-101. That series is tied 1-1. That feels like it's going the distance, just like that Wolves-Memphis series was back and forth, tight games. Does give you a little bit of what if, given that the Wolves played the Grizzlies so tough and now the Warriors-Grizzlies is so close. Would the Wolves have given the would the Wolves have given Golden State a series? Now that that series would have been home court advantage for Golden State, whereas these two first two games were in Memphis. We'll see how the series goes when it shifts to Golden State. But I do have a little bit of what if wondering when I watch this series. But mostly, I am just entertained because it has been a great series, just like Wolves Grizzlies was. If you can kind of distance yourself from the disappointment of the result in that series. That will do it for today for me. Dane St. Clair, Minnesota United goalkeeper, should be on Thursday's show. Going out to talk to him a little bit later this afternoon. And expecting to have Rachel Blount on Friday's show to talk Kentucky Derby. Getting fired up for those two Minnesota connections in the Derby, including a favored horse in that race. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Michael Rand. Talk to you again on Thursday.